whisper booth. Is this what a whisper booth's for? I don't know. Whispering. It's going to make the show kind of (laughs) tough. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Coming up on this episode of Awesome Etiquette, can you really serve French toast and burritos at your wedding? How do you get weekly game night guests to chip in? Two of your best work etiquette questions and how to handle the earbud dilemma. Those questions plus a postscript conversation about what has really changed when it comes to phone manners. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. I think it's time that we talk with our listeners about probably one of our top five favorite things in the world. <laughs> okay. Can you guess? Come on. Um, puppy dogs. <laughs> you slurp them down. <laughs> they taste like the ocean. I know, only because Silky last smooth. week I was indulging in this. It's oysters. oysters. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know what it is about us or the Post family well, or just my dad. Daughter. I am my father's daughter and my dad <laughs> and I love oysters more than anything. My sister loves them too. My brother-in-law loves them. You love them. The oyster bar at your sister's wedding was, I think, one of the most anticipated elements of they that didn't particular have nearly <laughs> enough. First of all, all the pictures were being taken and I was begging Dan to go get me plates of oysters so that I could scarf them down in between shots. And I kept catching Peter there throughout <laughs> the afternoon. <laughs> Who was supposed to be in all the photos? Um, But no, truthfully, Dan and I are big, big fans of the oyster. Um, So they're amazing, but they do bring up a lot of strange etiquette problems. They do. And and I joke about it. But when we talked about this as a potential topic, I I was remembering your father going on at length about (laughs) oysters. And would you slurp an oyster at a business dinner? (laughs) Don't get him started on should you put anything. For the record, we posts are always all about just a little bit of lemon. Oyster doesn't need anything else. It's supposed to taste like the ocean. It's supposed to taste like an oyster. Cocktail sauce drowns it. Mignonette, sure, but it's strong. I don't know. For me, it's just that little bit of lemon. Just a hint of lemon. I, I saw. Oh, so perfect. We're both Game of Thrones fans. Big Game of Thrones fans. The, the, thin the vinegar. man puts a little vinegar. I was like, ooh, interesting. It, it, it intrigued me, but Ugh. yeah, not no, going there. Not what I'm going to do. <laughs> Save it for your French fries. But the question does become fork or slurp. I always slurp, but probably mm-hmm. in some company I might I might decide not to. What's what's yep. the what's our business seminar take on it? What do we say to people when we do this question in business etiquette seminars? Defer to your host. Watch your host for cues. If okay. they're sharing a passion for seafood with you and they're but they're going to use their their oyster fork, go for it. Follow their cue. Generally speaking, your father loves to offer the dispensation here. He thinks that part of the pleasure of a good oyster, and I agree with him entirely, are those delicious juices. Yeah. And one of the skills of shucking an oyster (laughs) is managing not to crack the shell so that juice doesn't get away, that you don't crumble up a bunch of shell into it so you can really enjoy that juice. All of it. um, A good clean slurp. Hopefully you manage to not pour it all over your face, but um, (laughs) I think it's entirely appropriate to take the shell to your mouth and – 
do you? But but you do. You wait for your host to make sure that that's what they're in a business do. circumstance or situation. Yes, yes. I, I would watch my host for cues. If I was hosting, if I was sharing this this passion with with someone else, yeah, I would encourage them to try picking it up with their hand and and slurping it. If you get them served at the table where they obviously come with a fork, because most restaurants mm-hmm. want to give you the option, what would you do? Because I always wind up just slurping as long as I'm with family or friends. Put me in the slurp camp. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, so although you bring up an interesting point. There are a couple of funny etiquettes around eating oysters, and one of them is that the oyster fork will oftentimes appear on the right-hand side of a place setting, and usually forks appear on the left. It's that that little shellfish fork that it's the one teeny tiny little fork creeps over onto the the right-hand side oh, of the plate. That's so that's just where it goes. Where to set your oyster fork? First little bit of oyster I etiquette. Do Peter Post corrected us that we got that wrong in one of our earlier podcasts. I think I said the fish fork and I meant the oyster fork. So, mm-hmm. correction. Uh, correction. <laughs> correction. We are fallible. Um, I, th- so, here was a problem that I ran into the other week. I actually I turned to my sister to kind of see what she was going to do. Um, but I'm pretty picky about how my oysters taste. And mm-hmm. if, they're, if they don't taste fresh like the ocean, I don't really want to eat them. Um, it's... I've got, to, I've got to tell a little story. Last week on my honeymoon, I was grabbing these these oysters <laughs> and had opened some up and was looking at one. And it was it was that freshness that um, blew me away. I was expecting something a little clammy. It had been, it had been a little while since I'd had an oyster. And so you weren't thinking, yeah. It was a whole nother world. Anyway, I can appreciate <laughs> that flavor mattering and it being something you would anticipate and really care about. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Back to the story. The oysters arrive and they are kind of yellowish. And mm. I... And they're big, too. They're really big oysters. Now, I'm definitely a fan of of Louisiana Gulf Coast brackish oysters, which are really salty big and plump and, and they're they're salty. They're delicious. But um, these so I'm not I'm not afraid of a big oyster, sure. but it was the color that threw me off a bit. And I wasn't sure what but everyone at the table, there had been like 10 people that ordered them and they were all scarfing them down. So I was like, OK, they must be good. Yeah. And I took a bite and it really it didn't taste like the ocean. And I was I was like, oh, that's that's not what oysters taste like to me. And so I wasn't sure. And I kind of leaned over to my dad. I was like, Dad, I'm not sure they taste great, but everyone else is eating them and I don't want to be rude. And he goes, try another one. Maybe it was just that one. And I got a second one. It didn't taste good. And I got a third one. It didn't taste good. And finally, I was like, okay, that's half my dozen or half of my half dozen gone. I'm not going to eat anymore. I didn't think they were going to make me sick. It wasn't that kind of a flavor. It was Mm -hmm. just the water that clearly they had lived in didn't make them taste good. And I wasn't putting the mignonette and the cocktail sauce on them like everyone else at the table. And I noticed my sister was also Ah, not doing it. And we kind of gave each other the look of like, yeah, this isn't what we're used to. And so I just followed her lead and I didn't say anything to anybody else about it, but I just kind of uh, went, you know, just didn't finish them. And I felt bad not finishing them. But what I couldn't decide was whether or not I should tell the server why I didn't finish my oysters. Because I had told the server how much I love oysters, and here I am not eating them. Sure. Uh, So big picture, two thoughts occur to me. One, um, the safety trumps etiquette. If you had thought it had really gone bad, obviously you wouldn't 
be compelled to try them. Right. Um, or to finish trying them, yeah. So that said, if it was just a question of, you know, these aren't these aren't great, they're not um, – to me, it would depend a little bit on how not great they were. If I was just having a dinner with my sister or, your, or you with your sister or your father, I might say something. I might get the server's attention. Right. I, I like the way you handled the situation where you looked around and said, you Ten know, the, other the, people enjoying these things. the <laughs> impact this is going to have on these other people, it trumps my my right in this situation to bring this up did. and get a get a fresh plate or get something. Different. And I might have mentioned something away, like I might have gotten up to go to the restroom or something and said something there, but I just didn't feel it. But this was like a high end restaurant. I was really surprised they were serving oysters that were that. The one sort of purse idea I had not was, oceany tasting. You could say to them, you know, there's something about mine. Yes, you could bring the attention. You know, I'm not. I'm not sure. I sure that mine to get the are six oysters in your bushel that taste <laughs> off. <laughs> no, but, but yeah, if your I sister's you having that problem, your dad's having that problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. No, <laughs> well, with all of that, I do think that we should probably stop talking about oysters and get on to some of our listening listeners' questions. Do you think so? It sounds like a good idea to me. All right, mm-hmm. let's get on with the show. Sure, you're right. But there's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn. But it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. Our first question deals with serving breakfast at a wedding. My husband and I are involved in planning a wedding for a couple in their mid-20s. Bride's dad is totally out of the picture. So far, mom has been uninvolved in any planning, despite bride's efforts to get her in the loop. The couple are getting married in our backyard, footing most of the bill themselves. Here's my husband's and my dilemma. They are planning a late afternoon wedding with dinner and dancing. The menu for 75 guests is to be breakfast burritos and French toast served buffet style. I believe guests will have the option of choosing burrito fillings, mimosas, beer, possibly sangria, and a non-alcoholic beverage. We tried to dissuade them. How about a 10 a.m. wedding? As we believe this will not be remembered fondly, but viewed as cheap and or tacky by a number of folks who will be traveling some distance, paying for lodging and a gift. The couple say they don't care if people think they are crazy. They seem to be going a bit for shock effect. Are we out of touch? Are we concerned about nothing? Should we drop it? Thanks, Patty. Well, Patty, technically it is their party and they can breakfast if they want to. But the the reality is that bri- brides and groom can serve anything they want to. I agree with you in that I think that um, it's it, it's definitely not what's expected. Um, and my concerns would be more with the, the messy – just like if someone said they were going to serve spaghetti at their wedding, just be aware that guests are probably going to be dressed up for this. And, you know, I think of a burrito as hand Finger, food, hand but food. people will probably yeah. use forks and knives for these burritos. Um, but just I, I would – if if I was going to go the breakfast route for my wedding dinner, I would probably offer, I think, a bigger variety of, of more traditional breakfast foods. Not that a breakfast burrito isn't yeah. known all over this country, but I would probably do like an omelet instead, you mm-hmm. know, that definitely you eat with a fork and knife. And I'd have some breakfast meats available and some fruit available, too, so that it's I not like just burritos and French this toast. Is going. Dress it up. Dress it up a little bit. Um, but... I, at the same time, it is their wedding, and they can choose what they want, and I don't think they should worry so much. I would think that people would find it tacky if they had a cash bar. That is tackier mm-hmm. to me than 
Breakfast for dinner. Breakfast for dinner, which I think is a treat. Some people love breakfast for dinner. Yeah. um, And if, you know, I I would also think about adding something like a a brunch-style salad to this just to kind of bring it into that more brunch category. And and to round out the meal. It's not not the the aesthetic choice of breakfast for dinner, but can your guests eat something? Is there something comfortable for for everybody that they can – feel well fed. I mean, oftentimes these weddings, it They're runs long. from two in the afternoon till 10 at night. You're responsible for feeding people exactly. essentially two meals. Exactly. And, and you really want to be sure there's enough there that people are going to and, and yeah. they're going to appreciate it, that it's going to feel like a festive occasion. I love your idea of fruit salad. D- dress up that, that breakfast for dinner a little bit. Round it out. I also think that if you're looking for an explanation as for why this was the meal, I think it's pretty clear that the couple loves breakfast food. So (laughs) breakfast for dinner is a treat in many families. I don't think it's too out there. Um, I'm... I would not worry so much about what everyone else is going to think about this. That that would be our answer to the question is mm-hmm. don't worry quite so much. Just make sure that the food you offer is, like we've been saying, well-rounded. And I think that it's going to be a wonderful wedding. Kudos to you for helping out a young couple who clearly um, doesn't have all the support from both families that they, they could use and for being there and being available and for supporting them on this big day. But we hope that answers your question. And Patty, and have a fabulous time eating French toast at this wedding. Our next question is a really tricky situation, and our writer actually gave us a follow-up that makes it a little harder for them mm-hmm. to get out of, but I really wanted to pose this question because I think a lot of people could get trapped by this one. Dear Lizzie and Dan, thanks for your awesome podcast. I've listened to every episode. Every one to two weeks, the same group of friends comes to our apartment for a game night in the afternoon that goes into the evening. While I would love to trade off hosting, I have a severe cat allergy and everyone else in the game owns a cat. So we agreed that we host every time. I love to host parties and dinners and feel good about the etiquette of those. But this has become much more complicated. First, when we host every week, what's our obligation to serve food and beverages? They will regularly ask us for snacks and go through everything that we provide quickly. They also drink five to six large bottles of soda water between them every week. Normally, I would never in a million years ask for help paying for something that I serve to a guest, but this is starting to take a financial toll and decrease my enjoyment of the evening. If others hosted, we would be sharing the burden, and I'd feel very differently. Additionally, when is it appropriate to cook and eat our own food? The groups begin getting takeout every week from a nearby restaurant, with each person paying their share. But again, this is getting expensive. I would love to just cook a simple meal for myself while the group is there, but I don't feel comfortable cooking and eating food when I have guests without offering some to them. And I definitely don't have the time, energy, or money, or frankly the interest in cooking for everyone so frequently. Finally, is there a polite and appropriate way to ask people to clean up after themselves? We regularly spend time after their departure cleaning up takeout wrappers, dirty plates, etc. My husband says I should just get over it and that we're obligated to serve our guests food and drinks and to eat the costs. He believes firmly that it would be inappropriate for us to cook for ourselves or even eat food we already cooked without offering some. Thanks for any help you can offer, Anonymous. Update on the situation. I showed my husband this letter, and he decided that we should talk to the group. Right as they were leaving, he told them that we were spending too much money on them and that we would like everyone to contribute cash or snacks, please. It was really awkward and resulted in a bunch of people saying, we can just drink water. Any recommendations on how to fix this as well as resolve the original problem? Oh, my goodness. So... (laughs) 
You guys are definitely in a pickle. There's a couple layers to the situation. There really is. I think this mm. is the the mea culpa. Sorry, we didn't handle this right. Let's start over. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. And, yeah. you know, everyone needs a fresh slate every once in a while. Sometimes you just gotta. Call it a mulligan. <laughs> Call it what you will. <laughs> First of all, I'd like to commend you on hosting. It's great it's that you've got a friend group that likes getting together, enjoys each other's company enough that this would be the kind of problem you're having. I think these are great kinds of problems to be having. Um, but let's let's start from the beginning and, and break down the question that you asked into a few different parts. One, I think that your husband's instincts are right. I, I wouldn't cook for myself in front of guests. Um, and you even start to get into that borderline territory if you prepare food ahead of time that you then serve yourself because you're in your own home. I could see bringing a takeout meal that I'd prepared to a party where people were going to be ordering food maybe as a way to save a little money. But doing that out of your own kitchen might be a little tricky. Um, it just might seem like you are you have some kind of advantage that other people don't have, although I wouldn't worry too, too much about that. As far as the burden, the cost burden on providing drinks for people um, – I really like the idea of suggesting a potluck, um, but there, there might be a, uh, a better way to do it than to suggest that as people are leaving. Um, so it seems like your, your suggestion is coming in response to an immediate feeling or problem as opposed to being something that you've thought out ahead of time and that you're suggesting as a way to make the situation better. I would suggest trying to revisit that conversation, but doing it not as people are walking out the door, but as they're in a position to respond positively and affirmatively to anything that you come up with together. Well, it's probably time. I mean, this is a group that meets regularly. So I think saying, hey, guys, I'd love to, to talk about the structure of our game night. I think that's a great way to open that conversation up. <clears throat> Recognize that, you know, I'm so grateful that everyone comes to our house because I wouldn't be able to go to your houses. I think recognizing that that is a part of it. I like that you're coming back to that initial cat allergy, the reason this the is reason happening. The reason that this is happening at all. Yep. And also stating how much you love the game night. Remind them <sighs> that the big part of it is that you want to do this and you want to do it successfully. Yep. That you don't want this to stop and you don't necessarily want it to stop happening at your house. <laughs> and this is the part where you then can say, but I do feel like it would be really great if we could start doing this as a potluck evening. And we can rotate what dishes people bring. That way no one feels like they're always bringing the entree or the, you know, dessert or something like that. I like it. Make it fun. See if you can relate the food to the games being played. Oh, I don't that know. That would be really Cones fun. Of I love Mirror. that idea. <laughs> I love that idea. Some other people might have some good ideas also. Who, yeah. who knows? Maybe uh, – who knows what else is going to come up when you right. start approaching it like this. It sounds like this is a good group of friends. There are some costs to hosting. A little bit of cleanup afterwards. That I think she's not going to get away from. I, I don't either. Ser serving yeah. people soda water or water, I think that, that there are some things that you're going to do as a host with people in your home and offering yeah. people something to drink and and preparing to do a little bit of cleanup afterwards I think is, is part, part of, of the, it, no matter what. the mental preparation that, that you and your husband are going to take on hosting yeah, this event. I think so. But I do think having that having that conversation candidly, respectfully, and again, like we said, sandwiching it with all of the, the things that you know and love about the situation. I know we can't host it at other people's houses, and I'm really grateful that you all come to our house each week. Yeah. But I would love it if we could just change this structure of it just so that – it's a little bit more spread out as if we were hosting at other people's houses every now and again. I think that that would be a perfectly reasonable conversation to have with people. And you know what? It might take them a week or two to get on board or they might choose to leave the game. And the fact of the matter is, is that what they don't understand is there's already a problem with this. 
This problem exists for you and it's a burden for you and it's not so much fun anymore for you. And I think that you need to take ownership of that rather than feel guilty about that because it is not your place to make this happen and pay for everything every single week. Groups like this, whether it's a book club, whatever it is, like you said, traditionally they would be hosting at other people's houses. You would spread the the love slash burden <laughs> around. <laughs> anyway, we hope that that helps you have a direction in which to move with your group, and we certainly hope that you have a lot more fun game nights in your future. Game on. We're meeting, right? 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 <laughs> We're going to meet at 10, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Dan, congrats on your wedding. I hope it was highly enjoyable for everyone involved. Thank you so much. It, it certainly was. Question continues. I have a question for you both about pre-meeting communication. Recently, I arranged an informational interview with someone I hadn't met before. On the day of, I thought about sending an email to her in order to confirm that the meeting was still on, but wasn't sure that that was necessary since it was on both of our calendars. About an hour later, she emailed me to confirm and to trade cell phone numbers. So my question is, when is it necessary or suggested that I confirm meetings? Should I always share my cell phone number? Additionally, are the rules different when it is for a friend date? I have some friends who always confirm and some who don't. Thanks in advance for the advice. Beth. Beth, when it comes to friends, I always think it's a good idea to confirm. I mean, I I just don't mind this idea of confirming. We all do have crazy schedules these days. And sadly, I think we live in a world where it's a lot more common to cancel last minute. Mm -hmm. Um, My roommate had someone text her at 8 o'clock saying, great, I made dinner reservations for 915, then texted her at 845. Sorry, I'm going to cancel. I mean, that's the kind of world we do (laughs) live in nowadays. People really do kind of fly by the seat of their pants. So I think it's always good to confirm. As to when you should, I think it depends on when the meeting is set for and when it was arranged. So um, when it comes to work, I might aim for three to eight working hours before the meeting. Um, so about a half day. Yeah. Day like, to a, half a day. A day to a half a day. And it depends. If I set a meeting with Dan for 10 a.m. on or, – or if I set the meeting, I talked to him at 10 a.m. on Monday morning for a meeting at 4 p.m., I probably don't need to confirm because Mm -hmm. we work so closely together. I might remind him at noon or at two, hey, we still on on for four. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. But it doesn't have to be quite so formal. Um, But if I set a a meeting on Monday morning for Thursday afternoon, I might confirm with him Thursday morning or late Wednesday afternoon that that's still a good time for us, especially if it's not – a heavy-duty meeting. Mm -hmm. If it's something that could easily be moved, we have schedules where a lot of the times an interview might come up or there might be something more pressing that needs to to come first. And so we really try to balance the priority of the meeting and the the kind of seriousness of the meeting with the um, schedule that we're facing and dealing with. And I think that that's kind of the best you can do. In terms of giving your cell phone number, obviously, if you think it's necessary, always provide that extra contact info. If it's going to work as a backup, but you're not expected to give out your personal cell phone number every time you have a business meeting, obviously. (laughs) Um, I I, I like the direction you take in this question. The the general parameters, I think, are really smart. The short, short answer I would give is if there is any question in your mind about that the meeting's going to happen or how it's going to happen or if this person is likely to – and the parameter of is it 
was it scheduled a long time ago? Right. <laughs> so right. should I check in? Has it been weeks and weeks? Has it been a week? Exactly. Has it? If the question starts to arise in your mind, getting that certainty and establishing it with the other person is the beginning of really good communication. And the other thing that I would say is that if you have someone who consistently does this and you find it annoying, please get over it. This is them just being good and checking in. And I totally understand. I've had those those emails come in where you're like, yes, of course, we're still meeting. Like, mm-hmm. I haven't said anything different. That's you having a moment on your own. Don't carry that over to someone else who's just diligently doing their job and making sure that the time they've scheduled with you is still working for you. And on the flip side, how many times have we all been saved by that because call someone or that did email? That. Exactly. Oh, we're still on for that live radio interview in 15 minutes, right? Oh, of course. Absolutely. Exactly. I've been waiting all day for that. Well, exactly. that would be a little white line. But. <laughs> exactly. So, Beth, always a good idea to confirm. Keep it up. We think it definitely makes sense, and it's definitely good etiquette. I love this next question because I so feel for our listener, and it's a hard place to be, and I really want to encourage her to keep at it, keep going. Mm-hmm. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. First, thank you so much for teaching me how to behave. As a young urban professional, your podcast provides so much useful etiquette advice for how to conduct myself at work, professional cocktail parties and dinners, and life generally. There is one area where I would like some guidance. I moved to Washington, D.C. last year to work as a college counselor for a small college counseling nonprofit organization, seven full-time employees, four of which are college counselors. I've been with the organization for about nine months now. I'm 23 years old and only have a bachelor's degree. My three other colleagues, the counselors, are in their late 20s or mid-30s and all hold at least one master's degree. Over the past few months, my colleagues have made snide remarks about me being on staff. In passing, they have mentioned to me that I'm not qualified or only partially qualified for the position. Also, because this is my first job in the college counseling profession, some of my colleagues dismiss ideas I have to improve our program based solely on my lack of experience. I spoke to my supervisor about this, and she said she hired me because she knew I could do the work and has commended me for having done a stellar job thus far. How can I tactfully show or tell my colleagues that I am indeed qualified for the position? How should I respond or react when my colleagues mention, even jokingly, that I'm not qualified for the position? Thanks in advance for your help. Best, Daniel. And my apologies. For some reason, when I first read this, I thought it was Danielle. So, Daniel, I apologize for referring to you as she earlier. <laughs> well, But congrats on the job. <laughs> from one Dan to another, from LP to <laughs> also, exactly, congratulations. Um, it, that first job is such a big deal. And, it really is. And even if it's not your first job, if this is your chosen profession and you're getting a start on it, that's also a really important step. And um, I'm, I'm reminded of something I said to Pooja very recently as she got started in, in her profession as a counselor. Everyone's got their first case. Everyone's got their first client. Everyone's got their first day on the job, week on the job, year on the job. Mistake and on the job, success on the job, You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. And you're going to have them as a new person. You're going to have them as a person with a master's degree. And you're going to have them as a person with 30 years of experience Bingo. under your belt. And 
there is nothing to do here except be the best that you can be at your job and at your work. And it sounds like you're doing that. And that's going to ultimately have the impact that, that you want the most. What I loved was that – was that <laughs> – now I'm stuck on she. <laughs> what I loved is that Daniel said that he had already talked to his supervisor who I gave him all yeah. the good confidence in the world. Listen, I hired you for a reason. Those are the good you're answers. You're doing a good job. Daniel, you hold that close. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and and that's your boss. That's the person who matters. And it's good for you to know um, who the authority is in your place of work and that you're comfortable and you're talking with them and that, you're, that you've got good communication with that person. Um, so the question kind of becomes, does Daniel now knowing that because yep. he can hold that strongly in his own psyche, but knowing that. Does he confront the coworkers or does he not? What do you, what are kind of the routes he could go? Because he could do either. He really yeah, could. I, I think that for me, it would depend on whether or not I thought that what they were doing was really undermining, mm-hmm. was really intentionally designed to be snide and undermining and um, uh, intentional. Sometimes something can be undermining. It can feel like it's it's really hurtful. But the person doesn't realize. But it's they're not doing necessarily it. intentional. And and there are different ways I think to shed light on that and bring light to that situation. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I really feel someone is is trying to hurt me, I, I'm thinking about a different set of of actions and recourses. And those might include talking to that supervisor. You know, this continues. It feels like it's starting to feel like harassment. It's starting to feel like bullying. And it could get to it could get to that extreme. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what we're talking about here. To me, this sounds like um, less intentional, although potentially as hurtful, and maybe just bringing someone's awareness to what they're doing is going to be enough to help help stop it or help address the situation. And you could do that by trying to keep it light. It's, it sure feels like I'm new here, but you know, I've been here for nine months and I, I really like this job. Did X, Y, or Z, keep it, keep it positive. Um, you could also just choose not to address it. Mm-hmm. You could just try to wait it out. <laughs> um, and at some point, you will have been there a year. You will have been there a year and a half, two years. Maybe you'll start working on that graduate degree yourself. Right. Um, and those same people will become allies when you start looking for programs and looking for people to talk to about how to navigate those yeah. programs. For me, I would think that the best course of action would be to diffuse the snide comments as much as possible when they do come up and hold that confidence that your supervisor has given you um, really close to your heart and really remind yourself of it every time these people say it because two things are going to happen one you are going to over time prove yourself and that does just it was one of the hardest things for me to learn when I came to Emily Post to work was I knew that I could do this job I knew there were going to be things I had never done before that I was going to have to learn and that I might mess up at first but I knew I could do this job and I had to hold on to that when, you know, it was a, it was a strange place at some times when you're dealing with um, other coworkers who had been there for a long time absorbing a new generation of family members coming in. Our company didn't exactly know how to handle the whole um, next generation coming in. And, wow, she's working with her dad and her aunt and her sister. And then her cousin joined, too. And, well, are they favoring the family or are they actually favoring, you know, the other employees to protect them more? To It was like we weren't sure what was going to happen. And everyone was kind of not sh- – it was a big uncertainty all around. So I think the more that you can just hold close that – I was hired for a reason and I'm going to get through this and over time I will prove myself because I'm good at what I do and the solutions I come up with do work when they are tried. It might take a while for your colleagues to try them, but I think you'll get there. 
In terms of diffusing, if you want to say things back to those comments that you get, I think if someone ever tells you that you're not qualified again, I think you can quite strongly but gently and politely mm-hmm. say, well, I was qualified enough to get hired. Mm-hmm. And that r- does remind the other person that they aren't actually so much attacking you as they are attacking the supervisor that hired you. And That's they are really questioning well that person's judgment, which is very different. If someone does share a comment about your work that you're not happy with, you can always just say thanks for sharing that or I, and then redirect. You know, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Oh, Daniel, I just don't think your degree is really strong enough for you to have had the experience <laughs> to come up with that solution. Well, thank you for that. But I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, you know, mm-hmm. just changing, redirecting, Keep changing the focus that conversation. on the work as much as possible. Yes, exactly. Um, the other one that I, I do love, and maybe it's just a little bit of the jerk in oh, me that comes out, <laughs> is that when someone says something to me that is so... Like, did you really just say that? Just like blink twice and smile. <laughs> really? Like blink twice and smile. And then che- and then ask like a work-related mm-hmm. question or say, well, I'm really looking forward to seeing that report. You mm-hmm. know, something like that. I'm but, receiving the information that you're giving me. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, we're just going to take a minute and let that hang in the air. And now we're moving, moving on. on. <laughs> um like, Dan, if the problem persists, you got to bring it up to your supervisor again eventually and just say, this isn't stopping. Can you help me devise um, a plan of action to help take care of this? And once again, congratulations on the new job. Yes, and we so wish great. you um, many years of, of great success. I mean, right out of college, 23 years old with a great job. That is so encouraging to hear about. Hello, Lizzie. Hello, Dan. I just realized that the greeting scans to the tune of Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. So now that's going through my head. Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. Now I'm going to have to go back and listen too. Anyway, (laughs) thank you so much for your podcast. The whole family listens every week in the car on the way to school. And it's great fodder for discussions, particularly with our nine-year-old daughter, Simone. Hi, Hi, Simone. I have a question and would appreciate your verdict. What's the etiquette for wearing earbuds or other headphones in public? The specific circumstance I have in mind is this. When I'm out walking, I usually listen to music or podcasts through my smartphone, and my headphones of choice are earbuds. Sometimes I stop by something like a quick service restaurant or convenience store. Of course, when I'm about to interact with other people, I pause what I'm listening to so I can give my full attention to the other person. What should I do with the earbuds themselves when I do that? I have at times done several different things. One, remove both earbuds, drape them around my neck for convenient access when I'm done with my transaction. Two, Removed one earbud and left one in to signal that I'm available for conversation. This feels like the most convenient option for me and therefore feels like it's probably the least polite after not taking out the earbuds at all. Number three, remove both earbuds and wind up the cord to put in my pocket. This is the least convenient for me because I have to pause and do the most work when I'm finished with my transaction and I'm about to walk again. I'd love to hear your advice on any of these three options or if I'm overlooking other more polite options. Thank you, James Kalen. James, I loved hearing from you because we hear from you on Twitter all the time. So it was really fun to get a message from you. Nice to see the email. And I can't tell you, this is one that I deal with all the time. Yeah. I listen to podcasts all the time. I oftentimes do it through earbuds. I listen when I'm working, when I'm out and about. Totally. 
And like you, I turn it off when I'm going to talk to somebody. I'm aware of that captive audience. I take them out of both ears and I hang them in my shirt front collar. Yeah, the drape would work too. I think that's the best way to go. Depending on it. You could leave one in, but you just don't want to give that other person the impression that you're still listening to the whatever it is, the awesome etiquette podcast. Of course. (laughs) um, Because you're doing the good thing and you just want to be explicit and clear about that. It's about communicating that to the other person and just getting that second earbud out. Like I said, I tuck it in my shirt collar, but wherever it's coming, I don't think you need to wind it up and put it away every time. I so sympathize. Every time I wind up my earbuds, I'm like, oh, it's going to take forever to untangle these and get these out again. And it really does. Um, So, yeah, just pop them out. Hang them over your shoulder. You're in great shape. And thanks for listening. Thanks for the questions. And once again, hi, Hi, Simone. Simone. I got some pictures up there of me in Indian garb if you check the Facebook and the Twitter. (laughs) You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Thanks to everyone for sending in your questions. And remember, we love updates. If we answered your questions on the show, or if you have a comment about one of our questions, feel free to send it in. You can also submit your question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or send it in via Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want it on the show. Interesting today. I know. We had an interesting <laughs> conversation yesterday. It was about cell phone etiquette and how much it's changed our general phone etiquette norms. It started with thinking about etiquette trends big picture as right. we prepare it, for a good housekeeping issue that's looking at trends for over 130 years of the publishing of good housekeeping. Right. And it was interesting because the, the, the place this came from was we started with the idea that when we have a new kind of um, – avenue to explore in, in communication, whether it was yep. Facebook or email years ago or text messaging. It, the type of writer. Yeah, right. <laughs> the way that you tend to do things is you you start – a lot of people start by applying the traditional thing to the new medium. So Which how we many, often suggest. Right. How many of you have gotten a text message from someone who's just texting for the first time, like maybe a, a, an elder member of your family typically? More common a few years yeah, ago right? than today. When it's, and it says, Dear Dan, wanting <laughs> to talk to you about this, dash mom. And you're just laughing because you're like, it's coming in, you know, on your smartphone. You see who the text is coming in from. Yeah. You know all these things. Or you get the voicemail nowadays that said, it's me, Lizzie, calling. And you're like, well, I know that because it said Lizzie's calling you, you know. And so how has this changed our phone manners? Well, and you're still leaving messages as if it's an answering machine that needs to be checked. I know. Records it on a little tape. It's waiting for you when you get home. It's so funny. But – but we have kind of changed, yeah. and Dan and I noticed a couple things that really have changed with our phone manners, and we wanted to go over those with you today. Yeah. So one of the themes that often comes up with this new tech, as Lee says, so you, you look to the old manners for a guide. Right. And there comes a point where that becomes a little less useful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some, some of those old manners actually become antiquated and outdated, and this is what we do at the Institute. We like to think about that and how, how these things – so Caller what are the ID new ones? has been the biggest one that's changed this. Absolutely. The phones that we call from are so personal. 
personally connected to the people that use them that yeah. in many ways they're they're almost indistinguishable Lizzie and Lizzie's phone are they go together <laughs> we are but one <laughs> and and really the courtesy it used to be you always identified yourself at the start of the call right. that was the courtesy whether you were initiating a call or receiving a call you picked up the phone and you identified who you were so the person on the other end knew who they were talking to so in some ways that's a redundancy now we were noticing Lizzie and I that you most commonly identify yourself in a way that would indicate any variance from Lizzie's phone. Right. I'm here with Trisha. You're on speakerphone in the car. You you kind of state your situation. The other thing you do is that because you have caller ID, I don't know about you, it used to be really presumptuous to answer the phone that was ringing. As if you and knew who the person was. Exactly. And say, <laughs> oh, hi, Dan. And the other person would be like, how did you know it was me? And you'd be like, well, I have caller ID. Oh, that's creepy and weird. Mm-hmm. And now it's so common when I see my mom calling me. I say, hi, mom. How's it going? New etiquette. And now that's totally the norm and appropriate and okay. But the one that Dan's talking about, the situation, is the next thing that happens. It lets the other person know what the conversation that's about to be be is going to happen. I can't talk for a while, but mom might say to you, I just want to get a head count for dinner Friday night. Or how about you call me back when you're out of the car? Love it. It's almost like we have these mini conversations to schedule our our next conversation or just find out what each other needs, that sort of thing. Cindy Senning's learning curve on the short cell phone conversation <laughs> was awesome. And, and was it was it a very was it like a hairpin curve or was no. it like big, long, elongated so bell curve? My mother, who I love as much as any anything in this world is famous for initiating a conversation as part of a goodbye. All right, mom, I'm, I'm on my way. All right. So do, 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 do. that's when you get the three, four, five things. And so the, the short cell phone conversation was a particular challenge for her. And we, we, we had to get explicit. We had to talk about it. You know, it's, it's, it's easier to call more often if we don't talk a long time every time we call. And it's that, that situational circumstantial awareness. Like she was definitely rooted in an older school of manners where right. a, a conversation is something you give the proper time. In my case, I often am using Pooja's phone, which works through wireless, and my little cabin does not have cell phone coverage. So if I'm calling out from the house, I'm often on Pooja's phone. When I make that call, hi, Patrick, this is Dan on Pooja's phone calling about this. Or if a call comes in and she's the one driving, you answer the phone and say, hey, it's Dan. I'm answering Pooja's phone. And I use the example of speakerphone in the car because the Bluetooth headset in the car it's is so becoming common. so common. Yep. And in the same way in business, you let people know if they're around an open mic right. or if they're being projected onto a speaker somewhere else. And yeah. I, I think it's a courtesy in the social world also. So let's give our, our, our three etiquette takeaways for sort of the new the new phone rules. First no. of all, the Go classic, never make someone else feel bad that you answered your phone. Doug, Just you're... don't pick it up. I'm at a funeral. No. It's not their fault for calling. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> they didn't know where you were. I love that one so much. The second one is to always state who is with you and whether this is a good time to talk or the length mm-hmm. of conversation you'll be able to have. That's that identifying the circumstance or situation. Exactly. And third? Offer a different time to talk if that is not a particularly appropriate moment. So 
Hi, mom. I'd love to talk about this. Can I give you a call when I get home? Yeah. In 20 minutes. Or can I call you in three hours? Yeah. Something like that. I'm on my honeymoon. I'll check in on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> but then follow up. Some of up. you might get to use that one. <laughs> All right. Well, we hope that that helps make phone etiquette just a little bit easier for everyone. I can hear you call. We love to end our show on an etiquette salute. And don't forget, we always need more salutes. So think of the best person in your life who is the just epitome of etiquette and tell us about them. But this week's salute is, um, I thought, just one that was just slightly different. (laughs) It begins. Hi, Lizzie. Hi, Dan. I travel a good bit across the Gulf Coast every month for work and spend many nights per week in hotels away from my family. Last week, I celebrated my 34th birthday, and to do something special, my husband and I splurged on a hotel room at the historic Roosevelt Hotel in New Orleans. Oh, so beautiful. Since I already spend so many nights in hotels every week, I was really worried this wouldn't be special, thinking a hotel is a hotel. Not so. When checking in, they already knew we were celebrating something special, thanks to the hubs. (laughs) And to our delighted surprise, an hour or so after we got settled in the room, we heard a knock on the door and were presented with a complimentary bottle of champagne alongside a decadent chocolate dessert. The best part was a birthday card from the hotel that the entire front desk and concierge staff had all signed. I felt like the bell of the ball. Even at a large hotel that was quite busy on a Saturday night, they somehow took the time to make a single guest feel so special. My thank yous to the Roosevelt Hotel in New Orleans, Louisiana. Just had to share. One happy birthday girl, Jen in Mississippi. Jen, you've made us two happy etiquette (laughs) podcasters. That is such a nice story. And you're so right. A hotel is not a hotel is not a hotel. I'm telling you, New Orleans knows hospitality. I have never been to a city where hospitality is more the theme everywhere you go. It is the most welcoming, on-point city I've ever been to in terms of taking care of guests. It's fantastic. Well, I know you're a big fan. Huge fan. And I'm going on my first trip this fall. And I'm so looking forward to it. Can't wait to talk to you some about that trip as it gets closer and closer. And who knows, maybe we'll pay a visit to the Roosevelt. Sounds like they are on point. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. That's our show for today. We're off to eat some oysters. But first, as always, thank you for listening and spending some of your day with us. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And don't forget, there's no show without you. So send us your questions, your etiquette salutes, and your suggestions to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Remember, if you like what you hear, don't be shy. Tweet it, Facebook post it, and of course you can subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. On Facebook, we're the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore post. And I'm I'm at Lizzie A. Post, or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner. Awesome Etiquette is produced by the amazing Hans Butev.